Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and we'll be turning not to Nehemiah, but to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And we'll be beginning uh, a new study here in this letter by the Apostle Paul. And so today we're just going to read from the first six verses and then we'll, we'll jump right in and uh, see what the Lord says to us through His Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This, what you've heard, is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Amen. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite and has been for a long time. Uh, you can ask my wife, but before I was a pastor and just got to preach here and there and wherever anybody would let me, uh, chapter 2 sort of became what we would call my sugar stick sermon. And, and what I mean by that is you can pull it out of your pocket at any time and preach it to anybody anywhere. And uh, they say you can preach at the drop of a hat. And if you're not careful and I've got a hat, I might drop it. Uh, it just was one of my favorites. And Ephesians has been a, a book that has blessed me and so many Christians um, for a long time. And I just want to give you a simple uh, introduction. We'll, we'll cover all the, the material of Ephesians over the coming months. Um, but just to make sure we're clear on, on the who and the what, we know that this is a letter written to us or written to the, the church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 tells us that. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And if you know anything about uh, your Bible and about church history, you've heard the name Paul. Uh, he was that man that was once known as Saul of Tarsus a Pharisee, uh, one who had succeeded in the religious world. He had degrees upon degrees and respect upon respect and was highly thought of and highly esteemed uh, because of his accomplishments in the world of religion. He was a Jew and, and he bragged about his, his uh, heritage, his lineage, his family tree and his ability to keep the law and to understand it and to teach it. And he was bold in fact, he was so bold and so zealous for what he believed to be the law of God that whenever someone came along whose name was Jesus of Nazareth, who started stirring things up and breaking the, the norms and causing some trouble in the religious world, he hated him. No doubt Paul was satisfied with the decision to have Jesus crucified. But we don't meet him until later on. Whenever the Christians are preaching the true gospel and remember Stephen comes and he preaches and he's stoned there in the street. And the Bible tells us that those who stoned Stephen laid their coats at a certain man's feet and his name was Saul. Saul approved of the persecution of Christians and partook it in himself. He was zealous about it. He took uh, papers to travel around outside even of Jerusalem to 
find Christians, to hunt them down, to have them arrested and brought back to Jerusalem to even be killed. And it was on his way to Damascus, as you recall, that he's going on with his party and he's on his beast. And here he is at midday in a hot, dry, arid summer desert where the sun is blazing bright. And he says, I saw a bright light. No kidding, Paul. It's the road to Damascus. The sun's shining. It's at noon. You saw a bright light. But he says, no, there was a light that was even brighter than that, that exceeded that light. And he said, I saw that light and I fell off my animal. He went blind and the people around him heard the voice, but didn't see what he saw. And he saw Jesus. And it was at that moment that Saul of Tarsus had his life changed. He went from being a persecutor of the church, a hater of Christ, to one who loved and followed Christ and became a missionary and a preacher and a church planner and evangelist and all the rest. One of the best in church history, to the point that he wrote 13 of our books in the New Testament. That's a change, and that's the one who's writing this letter to Ephesus. He says here in verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And Paul had uh, shared the gospel in Ephesus. You can uh, read about his journeys through the book of Acts. And he had preached the gospel there and the church had been established. But by this time, no doubt, other people had become believers and the church had grown. And he, he wouldn't have known everyone in this church. But he writes a letter to them to teach them some things. And when we look through this uh, book, there, it, it's sort of neatly divided. We've got chapter divisions in our English Bibles, thankfully. That makes it helpful and easy to find our place. Uh, but we have six chapters and those first three are dedicated totally to doctrine. Now that sounds boring. He devotes three chapters to doctrine. But no, this is doctrine. This is teaching, not just to fill your head with knowledge and understanding about God, but it's, it's the kind of knowledge, the kind of doctrine that is to affect your own life, your own walk with the Lord, and how you live in the world. And that's where chapters 4 through 6 come in. Chapters 1 through 3 tell the Christian about his relationship with God and all that he is in Christ. And all the spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And then we get to chapter 4 and there's a therefore. What do you do with all this about who you are in Christ? If you know you're a Christian, you know that God chose you, that Jesus redeemed you, that the Holy Spirit indwells you and you have an inheritance to come. And you have all these blessings in Christ. What do you do with it? And chapters 4 through 6 get so practical in how we should live in this world. He addresses how husbands and wives should relate to each other. He addresses how children should relate to their parents and parents to their children. He addresses really how we should relate to our employers and the people who, who have, have that authority over us in the world. He talks about spiritual warfare and what we do when we're tempted to sin and how we're attacked by the enemy, our, the devil. I mean, there's all kinds of very practical stuff for Christians in chapters 4 through 6. And so this is a book that, that will benefit not, it didn't just benefit the church there in Ephesus, but has benefit for the church even today. Some have said that you go through the book of Ephesians and, and there's no particular doctrines that are being uh, critiqued, no heresies that are being addressed, no names called, uh, if you will, for, uh, for bad practices in the church. This is the kind of letter that is just as relevant to the church today as it was to the church 2,000 years ago. And so as we begin this book, the book begins with a prayer of praise. 
Verse 3 there, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I encourage you to pray daily, throughout the day. The Scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing. But I wonder how many times our prayers begin in this kind of way, where we bow on our knees or we lift up our head, whatever position we take, and we just say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayers, at least sometimes, naturally, begin with praise. Because God is worthy of that. And you see here in this this first verse, we've got blessed, we've got blessed, and we've got blessing. They like that word. He likes that word there in that one verse. That first blessed, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's saying that He is worthy of blessing. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy to be spoken well of because He has blessed us. We can bless God, adore Him, worship Him because He has blessed us, because He has spoken well of us and bestowed His blessings on us. And what specifically has He done? He says He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So His blessing that is bestowed on us, that's His generous gift. It's the benefits that we have that are given to us from God. And then He says the heavenly places, that simply refers to the sphere or the, the realm in which these blessings are given, in which they exist. Now most of the time when we think about being blessed by God, we think of those things we can see. Those things we experience even in our own bodies. We think of health and financial stability and good relationships with our family and our children and parents and all. And we can think of those things and say, yes, God has blessed us. And indeed He has. But Paul's praise to God here isn't for blessings that we can see, not physical things that we experience here on earth. But he says He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Note that he calls them spiritual blessings. They're blessings that we experience in our spirit or they are blessings that we experience by the Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, the moment you were saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And it's in giving you the Holy Spirit that he bestows all of these spiritual blessings on you, whether you realize them or not. And a big chunk of these first three chapters is just talking about those spiritual blessings that you receive in Christ. I think a big problem in the church and with many Christians is that we don't know who we are. Now, it's more important that we know who God is. We're not here just for self-discovery. But there are certain benefits and blessings that God has given to every single believer that we can experience if simply, simply we realize that they belong to us. Spiritual blessings. And He gives them to us. The last two words of verse 3, in Christ. Now, if you read through the book of Ephesians this week, and I would encourage you to do that just to get yourself familiar with the material. Work through here and every time you see the phrase in Christ or in him or in the beloved. Underline it, mark it. I don't underline in my personal Bible. I'm sorry. I know some people just really have a problem with that, Lance, but get a notebook Write it down if you want to. Every time that you see in Christ, because 
That relates to who you are. Now, listen, this is what we believe about the gospel. Okay, all you kids who are in vacation Bible school, you've heard this and you know it this week. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. When he died on the cross, he took the punishment, the blame, the penalty for all of our sins. Everything that we would ever do to offend God and to incur his judgment, his wrath. And he paid our penalty. He died in our place. And he rose from the dead so that in him, in Christ, we might receive forgiveness and life. And when we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus and receive that gift of forgiveness and new life, we are joined together with Christ. We are now in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. Say it with me. I am in Christ. If you're a Christian, that is 100% absolutely true and there's nothing you can do to change it. You are in Christ. And so these blessings that we've been given are given to us as we are in Christ. Therefore, if you have not believed the gospel, if you've not been born again, you are not in Christ. Therefore, you have not received these blessings. The Father, God the Father, loves Jesus Christ. He loves His Son. And we are united with Christ at conversion when we're saved or born again. Therefore, God the Father now loves us just as much as He loves His own Son, Jesus Christ, because we are in Christ. It is as we are in Christ that we experience the spiritual blessings that are given to us by the Father. And this first 14 verses here, verse 3 to 14, how many of you are just grammar nuts? You want to make sure everybody gets it right? Okay, I appreciate you. I really do. You would hate the Apostle Paul. Because when he wrote this in Greek, verse 3 through 14, there is absolutely no punctuation. Verse 3 through 14 is one long, ridiculous run-on sentence. It's like he just gets so excited about these blessings that he has in Christ that he barely comes up for air because he can't stop talking about it. But we're only going to go through verse 6 today. We'll take the next three Sundays on this first batch of spiritual blessings. We see in verse 3 through 6, this, this is the Father's choosing. Next week when we come, we'll see in verse 7 through 10, the Son's redeeming. Verse 11 through 14, uh, following that, we'll see the Spirit's sealing. So we see every person, each person of the Godhead involved in these spiritual blessings. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Spirit seals. These are the blessings we have in Christ. And so as we look at these spiritual blessings, and I promise we'll pick up the pace in a second. As we look at these spiritual blessings and everything else in these first three chapters, my prayer is that we will experience uh, two responses in this congregation. One, if you belong to Jesus, if you've been born again, I pray that you will realize who you are in Christ and what God has done for you and that you will love and praise him like you never have before. Will you pray for that? Second, if you are presently unbelieving, if you have not been born again, that you will hear of all that God has done for his people and that you would desire him and come to him and be saved, that you too may experience these blessings. Let's look at the first of these, the father's choosing. How is it that the father has blessed us in choosing us? It's verse four there very clearly. He says, just as he chose us, in him. So four things. Number one, he chose us before the foundation of the world. 
He chose us before the foundation of the world. It's right there in the text. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you're a Christian, this is reality for you. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, in eternity past. Go back in your mind as far as you can go to the moment of creation and then go back even further and then go back further than that and you still haven't reached the beginning because there is no beginning. God created time. He just always has been. And somewhere, sometime, somehow in eternity past, God chose you. Charles, God chose you. Willie, God chose you. Ashley, somewhere, sometime in in eternity past, God chose you. Let that just sink in and blow your mind for a minute. You think about marriage in this way. Now, I got it right the first time, so I don't have a lot of dating experience, okay? I got it. I mean, first girl, she was great. She was wonderful. I can spend my life with her. We just got married, okay? That's, that's it. But some of you have a little more experience than that. <laughs> um, I wonder if any of you had this impression the first time you met someone. You guys, you met a girl and you thought she's the one. She's the one that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. She's amazing. I love her. And then you got to know her. And she was not the one that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. And you did not marry her. I won't ask for a show of hands, but there's a little laughter in the room. So I imagine it's happened to some. You might have chosen her on the spot, having just laid eyes on her. But then after you knew who really who she was, it just didn't work out. And it went the same way some of you ladies with some guys, right? God's choosing us before the foundation of the world couldn't have been based on any merit of ours because, one, we hadn't done anything yet. Right? You remember in Romans 9 when he talks about Jacob and Esau, he says that that he, he chose that the younger should serve the older, but he says he did it while they were in the womb, before they had ever done good or bad. So it wasn't that you had just done this really great thing to impress God and he decided to choose you. Couldn't have been that. You say, well, God knows everything. Well, yeah, well, if he knows everything, he knew really what you'd be. And if you don't remember what you are, let me remind you from Romans chapter 3. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you say, well, God chose me because He knew what I would be, well... That really doesn't help your case because you're a sinner. You've rebelled against him. I mean, you look at the condition of the world. If God knew what we would be, he would not choose us based on that. So his choosing can't be based on merit. Then what's it based on? I think what he said of Israel in Deuteronomy 7 is true of us. Here's what he said of them. He said, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You think about God's choosing Israel. There wasn't anything impressive about Israel. 
They weren't any great nation. There are plenty of nations bigger than them, stronger than them. Why did God choose them? He said, because he loved them. So here's the question. Why did the Lord choose you, Christian? Because he loved you. All right. Follow up question. Why did he love you? Because he loved you. I don't have any other answer than that. Because he of his own will just decided to set his affection upon you. He has plans for you. It's not based on anything you have done or anything you are, but it's because of his sovereign choice that he loved you. So I heard someone tell the story this week. and It was a preacher that told us. I'm sure it's true, right? Um, About this guy who's in ministry now, but... Um, He met his wife just a a few years ago, but when they met, he realized that it actually wasn't the first time he had seen her. He put it together somehow in conversations that when he was a little boy, probably seven or eight years old, he remembers this family moving into their their cul-de-sac and and this guy unloading furniture and another little seven or eight year old girl, you know, trying to help her dad unload furniture and just happened in that moment. He said, you know, that's, that's a lovely girl. Helping her dad move the furniture like that. They never really met or knew each other beyond that. They just lived near each other. And then he found out later who she was. And now this person whom he loves presently and has married, she finds out that he actually had affection for her before he ever knew her. Now, do you think she wakes up in the middle of the night and she just resents that? I just can't believe he would feel that way about me before I ever knew who he was. No, absolutely not. If you found out that your husband saw you as a kid and liked you, you would love that. And anybody who would be offended by the thought that God loved them before he before you knew him, there's a problem. God loved you and he chose you before the foundation of the world. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Amen. Amen. Number two, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Look there again at verse 4. He says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now sometimes people think about God's unconditional love. And they feel that it gives them the freedom to just enjoy and do whatever they like. God has loved me with an everlasting love. They love that message. But because he loves me, because he's gracious, he's not going to cast me away if I run into sin. But here it's clear, Paul says that God's purpose in choosing us was that we should be holy and blameless before him. Our holiness, our blamelessness are God's goals in choosing us. Now, I've quoted this plenty of times. Everybody knows Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, right? Who knows verse 29? The very next verse. How do we know that all things are going to work together for good to those whom the Lord loves? Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you catch that? What did God choose you to? To conform you to the image of His Son. 
God chose you. He set his love upon you because he wanted to make you holy and blameless and pure and like Jesus. That's why he did it. So therefore, if you are not living in a life that pursues holiness and blamelessness, we have to ask the question, are you really one of his? Can you truly say you have experienced the love of God if your thought of it, your experience of it, allows you to pursue sin? According to what Paul says, those things don't go together because his choosing us, his loving us was for holiness. He chose us to be holy and blameless. So then that leads us to the third thing. How does he bring that about? He chose us by ensuring our adoption. That's the third thing. He chose us by ensuring our adoption. Verse 5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now that word, predestined, it's in your Bible, so there's no need to be scared of it. It it simply means that he marked out a boundary beforehand. He determined before. He ordained that something would happen. Some people get nervous around the word predestined because they feel it threatens human freedom. It's a Bible word. The Holy Spirit chose to use it. So it's it's our responsibility to come to understand it and to come to terms with it. But I do want to be clear that God's choice doesn't negate a man's responsibility to believe. I mean, if you think that's what Paul's saying, just look down at verse 13. He says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having what? Believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And there's commands all throughout the New Testament to believe the gospel. Jesus' message when he first came to preach was repent and believe the gospel. So nobody's saying that God's choosing negates your responsibility to believe. But you would have never had the opportunity or the ability or even the desire to believe had God not chosen to set his love upon you first. What does he say in 1 John? You all know this verse. We love him because he first loved us. He predestined us to the adoption as sons. You can flip to John 1 if you want. If not, I'll read it to you either way. John chapter 1 and verse 10, this should be familiar. It says Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now that's a, that's a wonderful verse. That yes, his own people, the Jews, rejected him. They, they didn't want anything to do with him. But for the ones who did receive him, the ones who did believe, he let them become his children. But here's the next verse. He says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yes, when you hear the gospel, you believe. You know, the great theologian Johnny Cash. Everybody knows him, right? I think it was him that used to sing this song, you know, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know, right? I mean, I was there when I was born again. You were there when you got saved. Did you believe the gospel? Yes, absolutely. 
Did you choose to follow Jesus, if you will? Yes. But how did it happen? It happened by the will of God. Now, I don't know about you all, but I didn't, have a lot, I didn't have a lot to say when my mom would get pregnant with me. I didn't make that happen. I was just born, and I'm glad to be here. And yes, you believed the gospel when you were saved. Yes, you made a choice, a conscious decision to follow Jesus. But let me, let me just step back. How did you get there in the first place? How did your path cross with the person who shared the gospel with you? Back it up even further than that. How did they hear the gospel in the first place and have a concern to share the gospel with you? You back it up farther and farther and farther. How did these things happen? Well, before the foundation of the world, God chose you and predestined you to the adoption of sons. He chose to bring you into his family and ensured that you would hear the gospel and believe it. Anybody going to complain about that? Because if it was left up to you, you know what would happen? You'd die in your sins and go to hell. You'd face the judgment and the wrath of God left to your own devices. If God had not intervened, if He had not ensured that we would hear the gospel, if He had not chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, we would all be lost. I'll say that for myself anyway. If you're a Christian today, it's because God chose to ensure your adoption. Trace every step in your story back to him. Adoption is a beautiful picture. What does it imply? It implies one that you're God's personal choice. You know, I had my kids. I didn't get a say in what they were like. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't get to pick. Um, I love my kids. But they were just the ones God gave me. But when someone's adopted, they were chosen. Apart from their own doing, apart from their own merit, they were chosen. Adoption implies that no matter your past, you have a new identity, right? What happens when a person is adopted into a family? What happens to that last name? The old one is thrown out. And they get a new one. Their identity is no longer wrapped up in whoever their, their, their birth parents were or whatever they had done or whatever situation happened beforehand. But now they have a new identity in the parents who chose them. And so it is for you who have been born again. Your identity is not wrapped up in your past, in your sin, whatever you were before you knew Christ. But when you were brought into God's family, when you were adopted into this family, that past is gone. And now your identity is only in your Father in heaven and in your Savior, your Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You're God's own child with all the rights and the privileges. You've received the spiritual blessings. You've inherited all the spiritual blessings, whether you've realized them yet or not. And I just simply hope as we work through this book that you come to realize the spiritual blessings that you've received in Christ so you can enjoy them. He chose us by ensuring our adoption. And then fourth and finally, he chose us for his own glory. Verse 6. Well, let's just go back to verse 5 again. He says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. God carried out this 
work of choosing and saving you, not because you had anything great to offer him, not because you were really impressive, because we aren't. But he chose to love you and save you so he could put his grace on display. He chose to love you and save you so that you could see the glory of his grace. Any response to God's choosing you besides praise is a wrong response. Some people hear the things that I've just said to you this morning. Some people read this passage in Ephesians 1 and they get all up in arms and angry about it. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just tell us about the spiritual blessings, but he tells us how to respond. Because God did this to the praise of the the glory of his grace. If you're a Christian, these things are true of you. God the Father chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He is determined to make you holy and blameless before Him. He chose to adopt you into His family and ensured that it happened. And He did it so you would praise the glory of His grace. Here's the big idea. Summary. God the Father blessed us by choosing us. So we would bless him with praise. God the Father blessed us by choosing us. So we would bless him with praise. So if you hear something, hear this and something besides praise rises up within you, check your heart. Humble yourself before God. Ask him to give you spiritual insight into things you may not understand at this point. If you've heard this and your heart rejoices, just take a moment. Praise God. We're going to bow our heads in just a minute and we can do just that. And when you leave this place, it doesn't stay here. This affects how you live because you leave this place and you proclaim the good news that the same Jesus who said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the very same verse says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the gospel we proclaim. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Proclaim His grace freely. And so then if you're here and you've not yet believed in Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead, that's my message to you. The one who comes to Him will never be cast out. The one who comes to Him will never be cast out. Come to Him. Find grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And then, if you do, you'll find that He had already chosen you first. Bow with me in prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Him with every spiritual blessing. God, we praise you for your blessing. We praise you that you chose us. That you set your love upon us. Before we had ever done any good or bad. 
And you, knowing all things, knew full well how big of sinners we would be. You chose us and you loved us. You sent your own son to die for our sins. Take the punishment that we deserve and then rise from the dead. Now may we rejoice in you. May we praise the glory of your grace. And proclaim your grace to those who have not yet believed. In Jesus' name, amen.